morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again. We are on week five of our stay at home, week five of our virtual services here. Thank you for coming and being a part of our series. We're in a series called A Life Worth Living. And uh, in this series, we've covered a multitude of things. We've covered a lot of ground. When we started this, you know, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, we talked about uh, prayer. We talked about worry and uh, how to handle that. Uh, the meaning of life. And then last week was Easter. We talked about the resurrection of Christ. All of these topics very poignant to where we are as a culture right now. Today I'm going to continue this. We're going to continue to talk about some relevant topics. And I'm talking today about suffering. A life worth suffering. How do we live a life when we have suffering around us? How do we as Christians live a life like this? This is a tough topic, but these are tough times, and I want us to spend a little time on this this morning on how we as Christians look at this topic and how we handle it. So, the, the questions that we're asking today is, how do you trust God when life is hard, right? Why does God allow suffering to happen? Well, over these last few weeks, many of us have been suffering, some uh, more than others. Just on a, a very global level, you know, across the board, we've all had some level of discomfort or, or suffering or pain. Uh, you know, on the light side, it's just you haven't been able to get a haircut. I'm, I'm kind of itching to get my haircut, but we can't. Um, some of you haven't been able to get a pedicure. You haven't been able to go to your favorite sushi restaurant or your coffee shop or, or have lunch with your friends. So those are some of the things that we haven't been able to do, and in a small, very small sense, we've been suffering. However, think of it on this side, too. Think about all those obligations that you, haven't, that you don't have to go to. You know, your niece's uh, recital, you know, you don't have to sit there for, for hours, you know, only to watch her for 14 seconds. So on the, there is a bright side, right? But, but on the other side, there's a heavier side to this because there really is, a, there are a lot of people that are suffering right now. They're going through some hard things. Uh, some people struggling at work uh, or, or being laid off um, or working more hours for the same pay. There's that. I think about our seniors, you know, who have been anticipating their senior year, all those things that come with it with prom and graduation, just having the loss of that and other students losing sports and things like that. Um, and ultimately, just the sickness. We probably by now, we have friends, we have family members, we know people who are struggling with this. And so on a very real sense, we have suffering in our life. And it's important for us as Christians to be able to think through this in a biblical way and, and, and to be able to answer it for ourselves, but also to have an answer for our, our, our community. So today, this is what I want us to look in. What do scriptures have to say? What does Jesus have to say to us as we look at suffering in our lives? Before we get into it, though, we, we need to have a change in perspective, okay? Before we get into this, so I'm talking about suffering as a Christian, and I want us to see things from a different perspective. So many times as, as people who live in the world, we, we're, we've been trained by the world and we've been guided by the world, and, and so many of us look at suffering the way the world sees it. But we as Christians need to look at it from God's perspective, one author, Paul Grimman, wrote this, We will only be thoroughly equipped to live faithfully in the face of suffering when we see the world through God's eyes. We as Christians need to look at suffering a little different than the way the world uh, does or the way that we've learned. 
How, how does the world look at suffering? Looks at it this way, uh, a few different ways. One, it's a surprise. Why is this happening to me? I didn't do anything bad. I'm a good person. I don't deserve this. The other side of that coin is it's not a surprise. It's deserved, saying, I know why I'm suffering because I did something to deserve this. I'm not a good person. I did some bad things. It's all coming back to me. So there's not a surprise, and there's, it's, I understand it. Neither of those are the way that Scripture teaches it. Another way that people see suffering is just it has no value and no point at all. Okay? There's uh, it's just discouragement that leads to doubt and bitterness, hopelessness, despair, and depression. So we, as Christians, we've oftentimes looked at things that way, but it doesn't make sense, and here's why. Because that's not the way that God sees it. So we today, we want to look at suffering from, through the eyes of God, from his perspective, so that hopefully it makes more sense to us, and so we can have an answer and we can give hope to this world. Today, I want, to, want us to, be, uh, to understand that pain, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental, and that it's real, and it's not something that we need to desire. It's not something that we pursue. But pain is the well-worn path that's been walked by Christians for generations. And that path has been started by Jesus Christ. He was the first one to go down this path, this path that took him straight to the cross where he suffered, but to bring about salvation for all. Jesus is the one who accomplished something great even through suffering. And for us as Christians, that is the path that we want to walk. We want to see God glorified. We want to see him praised. And we want to grow ourselves to become more like Christ. Today, we have three points. We want to understand what we suffer. We want to understand why we suffer. And we want to understand how we suffer. So those will be the three things we look at today. First, understanding what we suffer. So any doctor will tell you if you have pain in your body that there's a reason for it. That pain is telling you that there's something that's not right. There's something broken or uh, misplaced or whatever it is. Same thing when we look into this world. We look into the world around us and we see pain. And that tells us that things are wrong. Things are messed up. Things are broken. But what is it? What happened? When we look through Scripture, we see this brokenness from the very beginning through the end. We see this brokenness that happened in this world. It happened there in the Garden of Eden where that first act of defiance where they ate from that tree that they were not supposed to eat. When they disobeyed God, they, were, they, they faced judgment. They were removed from the garden. From there, we see this, all these trials. We see suffering through the early patriarchs. We see war in and around Israel. We see exile from uh, Assyria, Babylon, from Persia. We see, and as we enter into the New Testament, this occupation by Rome. And then we see, most importantly, the death of Jesus Christ, the suffering that he endured. But then as we continue through the Gospels and we get to the epistles, we continue to see this suffering of persecution as Christians are persecuted for their beliefs in Christ. So we've seen this. We see this in the world. We see this through Scripture. But we ask, what is that common denominator? What was it? How did it all begin? 
And we see that the one thing that spread through this whole, all of this is sin. That sin is what started this all. We see uh, the first reference to the word sin comes in Genesis 4. Chapter, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And the story of Cain and Abel. That's the, the, the sons of Adam and Eve. And how they gave this offering to the Lord. And the Lord looked on Abel's. He loved his offering, but he did not look on Cain's with, fav- with, with, Cain's with, with favor. And so the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will it not be accepted? But if you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That's the first time this word sin was used. And immediately we see the story progress as Cain takes his brother and kills him in cold blood. Here he's supposed to fight the sin, but he gave in to it. And from that point on, his suffering begins. We've seen this with Adam and Eve. We see sin there and we see it through the story of the Bible. But this is not just a fairy tale. It's not just a legend that Christians came up with to explain suffering. This is what we believe is true. We believe that all this starts with this act of rebellion against God. We see this from Genesis, how life was broken and how we're estranged to God. And we see it through the scriptures. But as we get to the final couple chapters of the Bible, we see all of a sudden there's a change. When we get to Revelation 21, we see this new creation. We see evil being put aside, eliminated. We see this new world that comes down where the God's dwelling is with men. And it says in verse 4 that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, pain, suffering will be no more. Friends, there is a, an end to this. And that will come when eternity begins. When Jesus comes to rid the world of sin, it will be rid of pain and suffering as well. So, when we look at this, this question of what are we suffering, the, question, the, the answer is sin. But let me just be really clear here. I'm talking about sin in a very universal, in, 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 a, in a macro sense. That this is the, the sin that runs through hum, humanity, that we all have this within us. Okay, this is that's the sin that's just in our, in our culture that is, is, is breaking things apart, that is destroying things. What I'm, I'm not saying is that every time someone suffers, that it's because of sin. Okay, I'm not just saying that if someone has cancer, it's because of sin that they, that they have in their life. Uh, in fact, Jesus talks about this, and he kind of gives both sides of this. There's kind of both in, in the scriptures. On, on the one hand... He heals a, a man in John chapter 5, a man who was paralyzed, and he, he approaches him, he heals him. The guy picks up his mat, and he walks, and he rejoices. But then Jesus comes a little bit later in verse 14 and finds him in the temple, and he says this to him. He, he pulls him aside, and he says, sin no more, that nothing worse will happen to you. It's almost this implication that this man, that there's some sort of sin, and he's telling him to be very careful. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, when he's talking about the Lord's Supper, he does say that some of you are sick, some of you are suffering, and some of you have died because of the sin that you have in regards to the way that you've taken and the way that you've associated with the Lord and with, the, with communion. So on the one hand, there can be situations where we are experiencing sin or suffering because of the sin or the consequences. That certainly happens. But that's not every situation. And Jesus talks about this too in Luke 13 when there's several that had died, a tower fell down, and there was a couple situations that happened there. Uh, and he says this didn't happen because they were sinners. It didn't happen because of sin in their life. He just warns them just to be careful. Watch your own life. Make sure you repent. In John chapter 9, there's another story of a man who was born blind, and the, his disciples asked him and said, Rabbi, who sinned? This man and his parents, that he would be born, born blind. And Jesus' response in verse 3 is, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God would be displayed in him. Listen, we don't know why people suffer, why this individual is suffering and that this one is not. But what we do know is Jesus says, You are to go show them love. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with those who are weeping. Not to judge those who are suffering and, and support those who are doing fine, but instead to let love guide. Let, let God work that out. But just in that whole aspect of suffering, where does it come from? In large part, it comes from sin. That's the first thing we need to know. And, and, and someday, when we long for this day in heaven when it will be eliminated, all those things will be gone. But that is what we suffer. Understanding why we suffer. That's the second point here. That if Christians have been forgiven, if we've been forgiven from our sins, then why, why are we suffering? If, if suffering comes from sin, but we've been forgiven, then shouldn't we be free from this? Well, that would be nice, but that's not the way it is. Because God is the one who takes things like sin and takes something bad, but brings something good out of it. This has happened through all the stories. It's happened through many times. It happened through the cross. Suffering is not something by, that's by accident. It's not something out of God's uh, uh, power or authority, but it's something that he allows in our lives with great effectiveness. And C.S. Lewis wrote, in his classic statement in, this, in his book, Problem of Pain. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How loud does God need to shout to get our attention? For us, when we see suffering, we need to we need, our attention needs to be grabbed. We need to look to Christ. We need to see him and what he is doing. And is he calling to us? Is he drawing us out? Is he drawing us back to repentance? Is he drawing us back to him? But here are a few things that God allows, uh, that we see through scriptures, why God allows suffering in our lives, why Christians suffer. And this is not exhaustive. There's many reasons. But the first one is this, that we, through suffering, we identify with Jesus Christ. 
We identify with Jesus Christ. He was the one that suffered worse than anybody. We just talked about this. So just over Easter and over Good Friday, remember what he suffered, how he suffered on the cross, the physical agony, the spiritual agony that he went through. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus as being despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. This is not fair that he would have to suffer that way. It's not fair that he was despised and rejected by mankind. But he did this to identify with us, and we, in the same way, identify with him. Uh, He also says this, Jesus says this, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. As followers of Jesus, it is no surprise when Jesus says this, he's talking about what he's going to do, the, what he's going to suffer, what he, how his life is going to be taken, and he immediately says, but you, you are going to take up your cross. You're going to follow me. The same place that I go is where you will go. And he went down that road to the cross. His body was nailed to the cross. It was raised. And he says, take up your cross. He doesn't say, take up your surfboard. He doesn't say, hop on the yacht and follow me. He says, take up this cross and follow me so that you will identify with me. We as as humans, we love to identify with people. This is a lot of how we spend our time. We look for people that we appreciate and that, that we can identify with. And we follow them. We follow them on Facebook or Instagram. We follow their lives. We follow their stories. Uh, those of you, any of you who have a jersey of one of your favorite athletes, you're doing this. You're identifying with them. Whether it's Kobe or Mike Trout or whoever it is, it's people that you appreciate, that you identify with, and you, you, you resemble them in some way. So many people do it with sports, but um, TV people. I'm, I'm always intrigued with Chip and Joanna from The Fixer Upper, right? How many people uh, have, have been identified with them? How many people have traveled to Waco, Texas to go see their, their place than to buy Magnolia Farms uh, gear? It's crazy, but we love this. We love to identify with people. As we have an election year, people are looking for a president that they can identify with, someone who understands them and that they understand we as, as people, we identify, we long to identify with people. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, should we be open? Now, I didn't say excited, but should we be open to suffering if it means that we get to identify with Jesus? That's one of the reasons that he allows us into our life. Another reason is to know Jesus. Philippians 3.11, Paul's talking about suffering and persecution. And he says this, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death. Paul saw all that was happening to him, all the, the persecution, all the hard things, all the beatings that he endured so that he could identify and he could know and follow Christ, that he could participate in his sufferings. The funny thing is this is on God's timeline, not ours. 
We don't ever sit there and say, well, I'm ready to identify. I'm ready to know God. But God brings this into our lives when he, at times when he sees fit. So we, we suffer so we can identify with God. We suffer so that we can know Jesus. And then the third reason is so that we can comfort others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is an amazing passage. The book starts right here talking about, about suffering and, and comforting those around us. Paul is talking about how he felt like he had a death sentence around his neck. He and his companions, they just despaired life. They were going through a very hard time. And then he writes this, that God of all comforts is the one who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And then he says in verse 7, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in the sufferings, so also you share in the comfort. This is about a community of care, this community that comes together to support each other. Some of you have gone through some hard times, some hard situations, whether it's sickness or being laid off from a job or or losing someone you love or broken relationships. You've gone through some of these things. One, so you can identify with Christ and, and, and love him and know him, but also that you can share this and encourage others, other people in the church, those who are younger or older, who are going through this the first time, who are scared, who are nervous, who are frightened, but are able to have you come alongside and comfort them and care for them. So when you look back at your life through your childhood and your adolescence and your adulthood, and you see these moments of suffering and of pain, and you see how God brought you through, those are the things that we share with those people here around us. We share those people, that with the people in the church or those outside of the church. It's our chance to show God's love and comfort other people. So when we look at these things, we see what we suffer. We suffer because of sin in this world. But why? So that we could become like Christ, so we can identify with him and we could comfort others. Last, we want to see how we suffer. How we suffer. Once again, let's look through God's eyes, not the world's eyes. Because the, the answer that we've had, we see modeled around us so often, is that when we are suffering, when we have pain, we escape. We hide. We run. And we do this many ways. Obviously, drugs and alcohol and things like that. We do this with pornography, but we do it through shopping and video games or exercise, food, becoming workaholics or prone to violence or control. Power, all these things are ways that we hide this, this, uh, the pain in our lives. But that's not God's answer. That's the world's answer. But for us as followers of Christ, We are told to face the pain, to see the suffering, to acknowledge it, to look at it, not to hide from it or try to escape, but to acknowledge it and face it. Faith, faith, 
does not mean that we'll never have any sufferings or we won't have any doubts or we won't have any struggles. Believing in God is not this carpet that, that we can kind of pick up and, and just sweep all of our pain and suffering under and pretend that it's not there. Being a Christian and helping others is not just trivializing, trivializing pain by throwing out phrases like everything happens for a reason or God has a plan for you. All which may be true, but these trite sayings that can be thrown out with not a lot of meaning. Last week, when we had Good Friday, I said this when we were um, just in that service, that, that oftentimes we as Christians, we're in a hurry because we're so uncomfortable with Jesus' suffering. We're in a hurry to take him off the cross and to hurry and put him in heaven, a place where we understand and we feel comfortable. But in the same way, we as followers of Christ, we, we, we often try to encourage others to move along and to, to, to move on from the pain instead of just sit with it and acknowledge it and feel the weight of it. It's not easy. I, I'm not pretending it is. But when we look at pain and suffering through God's eyes, the first thing we have to do is to be real, to bring this, this pain to the Lord. And so what are the tools we have? We have a couple tools. The first tool is a tool of lament. Lament. All right. When I was a kid, I had heard that word and I had no idea what it meant. It was just a weird, uncomfortable word I didn't like. But lament, it means to cry, to grieve, to mourn. And, and we as Americans, we're, we're, I don't think we're very good at that. That's not something we do. There's other cultures that do it a lot better. But grief and lament, crying and mourning are very appropriate responses to suffering and to pain. And we see that modeled in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, During Jesus' days on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries, with tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So we see Christ modeling that, that he grieved, he mourned, he lamented. Psalms is full of it. There's so many examples. But in Psalm 142, he says, I cry out to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out everything before him, before I tell him my troubles. Lament is something that is, goes through Scripture. In fact, there's even a, a whole book called Lamentations, a book full of lamenting. And this is a, a fascinating passage. And to be honest, I've kind of been fixated on this um, since the beginning of this year. I've been really digging into this. And I, I'm fascinated by how Jeremiah, how he writes this letter. And just his forthrightness. Just how how frank he is with the Lord as he expresses his grief. He says in chapters 2 and 3, I don't even know how many times, it's like 60 times or whatever, the pain that he feels. Remember, uh, Jerusalem is like the last standing city in all of Israel. It's the last one and it's being invaded and now it has been conquered. And so all of Israel has been, the dreams, the, the future has been shattered. And so he cries out, to the Lord, talking about the Lord has withdrawn his compassion. He has, he's kind of put a bullseye on him. He's killed everyone that he's ever loved. He goes on and just talking about all this pain that he feels. 
he says that, um, that the Lord's hand has repeatedly been against him. He's weighed down with, chair, with chains. The Lord rejects his prayers. His, he's pierced his kidneys with arrows. He says, he's ground my teeth in gravel. All of those so, so strongly worded phrases that he is, is expressing his pain. But then, finally, halfway through the whole book, he turns and he says, yet, I call this to mind, I have hope. Because the Lord's faithful love will never perish. His mercies never end. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We see that the road to healing begins with this honesty before the Lord. There's another um, psalm, in Psalm 88, which is a powerful psalm, which is unlike all the others, because in the same way he's expressing this pain but unlike all the other prayers that express pain and then turn and, and have this wonderful thing to say about the Lord, Psalm 88 has no happy ending. It begins with, Lord God of my salvation, I cry out to you day and night. May my prayer reach your presence. Listen to my cry. And then he goes on for 15 verses sharing his, his story of how he's felt rejected by God. And it ends with this, that you've distanced uh, loved ones and neighbors from me. Darkness is my only friend. There's a real place, there's a real tool that we have as Christians and to be honest before the Lord, to bring our, our true um, cares and concern, the weight of what we're feeling, to bring it before the Lord. And we see so many examples of this, but just to be fair, there is, there are some examples of people that have done that, and it has not gone so well. In Numbers 14, it talks about uh, Israel when they had left the, uh, uh, um, Egypt, and now they're in the garden, and the people complained. They raised their voices, and they wept aloud. So far, so good. But they complained against God, saying, if we'd only died in Egypt, we should get a new leader who should take us back because we're, this, is, this is hopeless. And then God says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? See, there's a difference between grumbling faithlessly about what God has done, which is a story here, versus people like Job and people like Jesus who have brought these requests to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm impatient. And I don't know how long it will last and I don't like it, but I'm bringing these to you. I'm going to be honest with you, Lord, because I know that you are the one who is faithful. You are the one who is merciful. So the first tool we have when we come to suffering is to be real with God, to be honest, to bring those requests and those feelings to the Lord. Well, the second tool, like I've already talked about earlier, is the, the tool of community. The power that we have as a church body as people who know each other and love each other and how we're connected to each other and how we can help during this time. Now, it feels weird because this is the one time where we've said, don't be in community, keep distance. But whether it's face-to-face -face over a table with having coffee or it's through a computer screen, we can still have community. It's the powerful tool that God has given us, that he's put in our lives so that we can be encouraged so that we could be cared for and we could be shepherded. 
as we look at this tool of community, we see how God has equipped us all to encourage one another. And so we need this large community, a place where we can belong, a, a place that we can bring our cares and that, that we can love one another and be loved by each other. Sometimes we forget that these passages in the New Testament to love one another, we, we think that they're, you know, we can pick it or not, but they're commands that God's given to us. He says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Serve one another in love. Carry one another's burdens. Confess sins and pray for each other. Encourage one another and build each other up. The com- these are commands that God has given to the church. Let us love one another. This is how we show our love. This is how we show our love for each other. This is how we show our love for God, by caring for one another. And so one practical thing that we as a church can do is to care for one another. Reach out. Care for those people. Call up someone who you're missing that you haven't seen in a while. Maybe you saw their name on, on the, the Facebook page and you saw that they're watching. Call them up today and reach out to them. Put aside uh, your busy schedule to sit and to care for each other. All right, be approachable and warm and genuine. Let's be non-judgmental. Let's be respectful to each other. Let's sit patiently with each other in this discomfort without trying to fix things. Let's be willing to empower people to make their own decisions. Let's encourage compassionate biblical thinking. Let's share each other's pains. Let's have patience, allowing God to work in someone at their own pace. There's all kinds of things that we can do together, but that's what we do in community. That's how we are to support each other. That's the tool that we have. But it takes all of us vulnerability to reach out and say, I'm struggling. Can you help me? Can you sit with me? Can you care for me? So we all have that. But sometimes you need someone a little, you don't need just a lot of people, you need just a small group of people. And that's another way to apply this, is that we have small groups at our church. We have these small groups that are already built, that are running, so that we could care for people in their time of need, to offer prayer support or child care, to be a listening ear, or to share things like food or tools or toilet paper. Right? Hopefully you are in a small group, a place where you can be vulnerable and share the needs that you have. If you are not in a small group, it's, I want you to know it's great. We're starting some new ones, some virtual ones. Pastor Ray's starting a group called Care 101, which will be a virtual small group now, and hopefully grow into a, a physical group later. But it's a great way for you to jump in and to be a part of this community that people can care on a, on a much uh, more intimate level. So we There's times when we need everyone. There's times when we need just a small group of people. And every once in a while, there's this time where we really need just a couple people to shepherd us and to walk with us through life. People that we trust, that we can be very personal with. Now, God calls every believer to follow Jesus. And Jesus was a shepherd. So all of us should see ourselves as being someone who can shepherd someone care for them, and walk with them through these hard times. That's the body of Christ at work. In large groups, and small groups, and in individuals, we care for one another and to help each other through this time. The last tool we have is just Jesus Christ, the best, to be able to trust him. 
He is trustworthy. Jesus is the trustworthy one. God is the one who's stable and steadfast. He is the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises. He's faithful in all he does. And sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to, I've got to trust God, I've got to trust him. But he is the one we can trust. We can put it out there. Have you, do you have a trustworthy friend? Do you have someone who you can really count on? Someone that you know that they'll, they'll respond. When they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. When they say they'll be there, they'll be there. Well, that's God to us. He is the trustworthy one. And be honest with him and share your heart and trust in him and let him respond. Let him take care of you and walk you through this time. How do we honor God in suffering? There's a lot to say. I've covered a lot of ground. But it all comes back to this, that first we see things through his perspective. That sin is, is wicked. Sin will be eliminated. But right now, we as Christians, we live in this world of sin. But we see things from God's perspective. That when he will allow this into our life, for us to grow, to struggle, to identify with Christ, to know him, to long for him, to trust him. But we do it as a community. We don't do this alone. We don't do this as individuals. We don't run from it. We don't try to hide it. We don't escape. We embrace this. We embrace it by bringing our heart before the Lord. So today, some of you need to lament. You maybe have been running, or maybe you've been surprised at what is happening. But I encourage you today to stop. Stop, and I want you to identify the hurt, the pain, the struggle. I want you to bring that before the Lord. And bring it to him. Be honest. And be clear. But bring that to the Lord. And open yourself up. Look for someone that can come alongside of you. Our church is full of people that want to support, that want to care for you. We have pastors, we have deacons, we have elders, we have small groups. We've got all kinds of people that want to sit there and help and, and cry with you, to care for you, but to help you become more and more like Christ each and every day with each opportunity. Would you please join me in prayer?